0: Good morning everybody. Um, The first reading today will be coming from Daniel chapter 2 verses 26 to 47. So starting at verse 26. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in days to come. Your dream and the visions that passed through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay." While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and, sh- and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. earth. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. After you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours, Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay." As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and you will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of a mountain, but not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold to pieces. The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and in its interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honour and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. The next reading will come from the New Testament in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 9 and going through to 34. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look sombre as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen." And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own.
1: Thank you, Suze. Good morning, everyone. Lovely to see you all. Um, Now, has anyone got a green outline? Because if you do, it's a bit misprinted. Is anyone feeling like they've got a green one still? The blue. Oh, you've got one there, Rose. Okay, we'll get one. We'll get a new blue one to you. Um, we made a mistake this week, so it very rarely happens, but there you go. Um, okay. Now, last week, I. Uh, yeah, any other hands? There's one over here and one over here. Um, last week, we. Um, I gave you a promise. Um, from the Bible. And it started with these words Delight yourself in the Lord. Now, does anyone remember how the whole verse goes? Right? Delight yourself in the Lord. Hands up. Yeah, Margaret. And he will give you the desires of your heart. Okay, so have a look. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, is that true, Margaret? Yeah. 100%. Amen. All right? Tried and tested. Uh, So this is a real promise from God, but notice it's a promise with a qualification, right? And that is, it's not whatever you desire in the whole world. It's actually saying, delight in God, have Him as your focus, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Uh, It's a really great promise, but it's focused on God and His purposes, not on getting a Ferrari or uh, something like that. Um, And what we... I focused on that promise because, effectively, when we pray the request, hallowed be your name, we're saying we want to be on about you, God. It's on about your glory, not my glory. Now, today I've got another promise for you, um, which is, is similar. It's a promise with a qualification added to it. So get it out of your outline because we've printed it up so that you can use it as a bookmark in your Bible or you can pin it on you know, the back of the toilet door or something like that. Uh, and you can memorise this and take it to heart. Uh, and it goes like this. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Now what are, when, when Jesus says all these things will be given to you, what does he particularly have in mind? what is God going to give us? Food and clothes and shelter and all those things that we worry so much about. I don't know about you, but like this week for me, I have been full of worry, which is so ironic because um, then I started to focus on what we're looking at. It actually really helped me uh, because I was full of worry about, you know, staff and responsibilities I've got and so on. And then I... I remembered this verse and I thought, no, no, I actually need to just keep seeking God's kingdom and trusting him to sort out the day-to-day details. So it's not to say I'm not going to work hard, but I'll actually give the worries over to him because he will take care of it. Now, that is a good promise, isn't it? Um, Seek first his kingdom. Um, And The reason I'm giving you this promise is because it relates to the second request in the Lord's Prayer, and that is, your kingdom come. Uh, Your kingdom come is is about saying, God, I'm on about your kingdom. So it's the same as the idea of seek first his kingdom. What I'm going to do right now is pray that God will help us to not only understand what we mean when we say your kingdom come, but that he'll give give us hearts that long for God's kingdom to come. Will you pray with me? God, our Father in heaven, you are our loving heavenly Father. You know what we need even before we ask. Uh, Hallowed be your name. Help us to delight in you and trust your promise that you'll give us the desires of our hearts. Your kingdom come. Help us to understand that prayer. Help us to seek first your kingdom, trusting that you will sort out all the other details of our lives, that we do not need to worry about those things. And we pray that even now as we hear your word, that you'll work in us to make us kingdom people. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so your kingdom come right we're doing a series on the lord's prayer if you haven't worked that out um, and uh, the second request in the lord's prayer is your kingdom come and the big question today is what do we mean when we pray to god your kingdom come uh, it's a right question because there is a sense to which god is king already well there's a big sense in which god is king already god always has been the ruler of our world, and he always will be. You know, when we say God is sovereign, we're just saying that God is king, and we believe God is king over everything. As the creator, he rules our world and has done throughout the whole of history. Have a look at that quote from Psalm 47. The Lord Most High is awesome. The great king over all the earth. God is the king Of all the earth, God reigns over the nations. See, nothing is outside God's kingly rule. I want you to open up your um, outlines, and if you've got the light blue one, you'll actually have the right passages in there. There's a prayer from David from 1 Chronicles 29. Can you see it there on the right-hand side? Now, what I want you to do as I read this prayer out loud, I want you to think, does that remind you of another prayer? Okay? Here it is, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you, you are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. It's a great prayer, isn't it? Sort of prayer. What um it's so you've just said you think it relates to the Lord's prayer. Okay. So because David's not on PowerPoint, he's free to speak and answer one of my questions. So let's cut to the chase. Um, so Dave's suggesting the last phrase of the Lord's Prayer says this, For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Every one of those phrases is actually part of that longer prayer of David. Now the reason I'm focusing on this is because that that phrase was not part of the Lord's Prayer when Jesus taught it to his disciples. It's something that's been added later on. Uh, it's not a bad thing to add, but it's just that when Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer, it, was, um, it didn't have this sentence. And then very early on, Christians adopted this sentence, which is like a mashup from 1, Chron- 1 Chronicles 29 uh, as a way of rounding out the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and so Christians for the last 2,000 years have prayed the Lord's Prayer and added this sentence at the end. Um, And so who am I to buck with tradition? Because it's actually a good thing to pray at the end of the prayer because what we're doing is we're saying your kingdom come, but we're also acknowledging the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours. It all belongs to you now and forever. Amen. Um, So it's a good thing to pray even though it wasn't part of what Jesus originally said. Taught his disciples to pray. And what we're praying is an acknowledgement that God is king, always has been, always will be. But that still leaves open the question, what are we asking when we pray, your kingdom come? If God is already king, what are we asking for? I want you to come with me to Daniel chapter 2, because I think Daniel chapter 2 is a really important background to the the idea of the kingdom of God. Now in Daniel chapter 2, we come to a low point in the history of the kingdom of Israel. So the kingdom of Israel were God's chosen people. And back 500 years before the time of Daniel, they, they were at a high point. Solomon, David, the kingdom. The kingdom of Israel was never a superpower in the ancient world, but they had an international reputation during the reign of David and Solomon, where the other nations looked on and said, wow, that is an impressive kingdom, uh, and property prices were on the up. And and it was just, you know, there was a prosperity and and a real vibe that this, this kingdom is going places. But from that point, there is a decline over the next 500 years to the point where we reach the days of Daniel, And what's happened is Nebuchadnezzar has become king of Babylon, the new superpower. The Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar have come in and utterly decimated Israel. So that if you are a historian writing and observing things, you would say the kingdom of Israel came to an end around 590 BC and was wiped off the face of the earth. Uh, The citizens of Israel were re uh, settled in other nations uh, all around the empire. Daniel was a young man who was a, you know, a, a young leadership potential kind of guy. He ended up in Babylon and he came uh, to be a servant under Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the king who had decimated the nation of Israel. And Nebuchadnezzar has a dream um, and He wants to know what the dream means. He's really convinced that this is a dream from the gods. Uh, And so he calls in all his astrologers and magicians and anyone who might have some sort of credibility to interpret dreams and he says, I want you to tell me what my dream means. And they say, well, just tell us the dream and we'll interpret it. And he says, no, 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 it's not not that easy, right? Because he knows that there are con men out there. Right? And we know that there are religious con men today. So he says, no, if you're really fair income, able to interpret my dream, you need to tell me what the dream is first. And then I'll believe that you have some credibility to interpret the dream. And all the, wi- all the wise men go, oh, man, we can't, we can't do that. That's it. So, And he's ready to kill them all. But Daniel steps forward. And Daniel says, I've prayed to the God of the universe, the only true God, and he has revealed your dream to me. So this is your dream, Nebuchadnezzar. And he says, you saw a statue in your dream, an impressive statue. And the statue had a head of gold. uh, The torso, the chest was silver. The waist was bronze. The legs were iron. And then the feet had a mixture of iron and clay. This is what your dream means, uh, Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar. He said, the head, the gold head represents your kingdom, Nebuchadnezzar, a glorious kingdom. After you will come another kingdom. Your kingdom will come to an end. Another kingdom will come, a kingdom of silver, inferior to yours. You know, so sort of, you know, being a bit nice to Nebuchadnezzar at this point. So inferior to yours. And then a third of bronze, and then a third will be like the iron. Um, And over, over the course of history, people have tried to pin down what, what, empires did they have in mind were they the um, Persians and the Greeks and the Romans and uh, you can sort of work it out but that's not the really important part of this vision it's the it's what happens next that is the critical part what happens next a big rock that God has cut out comes smashing in. I don't think this picture quite does it justice, does it? Because, you know, you want the rock to absolutely obliterate the statue because that's what happens. It smashes in. The whole statue goes poof and, 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 and it just blows away like the chaff till there's nothing left of all those great kingdoms. Uh, and Daniel says the rock is the kingdom of God. Um, Verse 44, Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. So if you were to say, According to Daniel 2, what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God was a kingdom that was going to break into our world decisively, smash all the other kingdoms, establish a godly rule, God's kingdom to rule forever. That's the kingdom of God. Chapter 7, the idea is developed a bit further. Daniel himself has a dream a number of years later. And in Daniel's dream, he sees four beasts, uh, like a lion, a bear, a a leopard, and some sort of dragon-y type beast. um, Anyway, so he sees these four beasts, and the four beasts, again, represent four kingdoms. And before you get to caught up in trying to work out which kingdom represents which beast and so on. Uh, The important thing about Daniel's dream is what happens next. And that is God destroys the beasts. He destroys each of those kingdoms or, or he locks them up or he slays them, right? So one or the other. And then God establishes his kingdom verse 13 so Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 I've printed this in your outline it is one of the most significant Old Testament prophecies uh, of all Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 in my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence he was given authority glory and sovereign power all nations and peoples of every language worshiped him his dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed so the kingdom of god according to daniel 7 is not only going to break into our world but god is going to appoint this man right this, this son of man with all authority and all power and all glory to rule forever. Now with those expectations in the air, the nation of Israel then went through the next 500 years waiting, longing for the kingdom of God to come. By the time of Jesus, it had been 500 years. And so for some of the people of Israel, for most of the people of Israel, they'd sort of given up on the promise. Uh, They'd lost sight of the kingdom and their focus had become very much just getting on with day-to-day life. You know, the job, the family, the house, uh, just the ordinary stuff of life had come to dominate and they'd lost sight of the kingdom. But there were godly Israelites. Uh, You might remember some of them that come into interaction with Jesus. Anna and Simeon. Joseph of Arimathea, who was waiting for the kingdom of God, uh, John the Baptist. These guys are, are hanging out for this decisive inbreaking of God's kingdom to overthrow the other evil, beastly kingdoms. So that's the atmosphere that's in the air when Jesus steps onto the scene. Firstly, it's John the Baptist who declares the kingdom of God is near. Right, this decisive inbreaking of God and his rule is about to happen. Jesus picks up on that same message, and Jesus' ministry is devoted to preaching the kingdom and healing and the miracles that point towards the kingdom. Um, and as you read the Gospels, so if you haven't picked up one of the Gospels, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, the accounts of Jesus' life, can I encourage you to do it? Uh, Because uh, that's where you meet Jesus, but also you you come to see that Jesus is the Son of Man that Daniel had seen in his vision 500 years earlier. No doubt about it. Um, Now remember, Jesus said things like this, I tell you the truth, some of you will not taste death before the kingdom of God has come in power. The expectation in Jesus' words, in John the Baptist's words, that was that it's not going to be 2,000 years, 3,000 years. It's the kingdom of God is going to come now. It's about to break in. And how does the kingdom of God break in? Well, a few weeks after Jesus said this, he was strung up on a cross and died, raised from the dead and he ascended into heaven. And those events... Were the crucial inbreaking, the decisive inbreaking of God's kingdom into our world. When Jesus died, we are told that he defeated the enemies of God. Sin, death, the devil were crushed through his death on the cross, paying for the sins of the world. When Jesus rose again from the dead, he rose victorious. And then when Jesus ascended into heaven, that was the enthronement scene. That was when he, he ascended into heaven to receive from God the authority to rule God's kingdom forever. The kingdom of God has come already. Jesus rules God's kingdom right now as we speak. It's a reality. The thing is, we don't see it. So it's not obvious to the human eye but as we read God's word God reveals to us that his kingdom has already come in the person of Jesus so come back to our question if the kingdom of God has already come with the death resurrection and ascension of Jesus what do we mean when we pray your kingdom come now We're going to pick up on this again next week, so I'm not going to say everything there is to say this week. But I want to suggest a few things that ought to be part of our thinking as we pray to God, your kingdom come. The first thing is this. Help me submit to Jesus as my king. When we pray, your kingdom come, part of what we're doing is we're praying, I want other people, I want the world to recognise that Jesus is king, I need to recognise that Jesus is king in my own life and submit to his rule. Has anyone heard of this guy, um, Leonard Kaisley? Uh, yeah, okay. So some of you have heard of Leonard Kaisley. Uh, yeah, that's right. He owns a big wheat farm, right? Massive big wheat farm in Western Australia. So he, he it's on the Australian mainland but in 1970, Leonard Caisley decided he was sick of paying taxes and having to submit to the government and the rules of Australia and all that sort of thing. So he, he, he declared that his farm was an independent state, uh, a, a country in its own right. Uh, he created a statue out the front of his gate. Uh, he called it the Independent Sovereign State of Hutt River and he set himself up as Prince Leonard of Hutt. Uh, he created his own stamps and passports and uh, 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 titles, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, you can actually apply to become uh, recognised as an ambassador or a title in his kingdom. So um, he's got his own flag. At one point, he even declared war on Australia. With no army, but he does have a navy, right? Um, this year his country celebrated their 45th anniversary of the independent state of Hutt River. Now, the Australian government don't know what to do about him. Like cuz it's actually really funny. It's it's laughable because how can one man just all of a sudden decide, I don't want to be under Australian rule anymore. I'm going to I'm going to go independent, go rogue. Uh, and so Generally, the Australian government just puts up with it and treats it as a bit of a joke, but he gets away with not paying taxes and not having to submit to Australian law, and, and they, just, they just put up with him because... Yeah, well, what are you, you going to do? Yeah. Anyway, so I reckon... The reason I talked about Leonard Kaisley is I reckon there's a bit of Leonard in each one of us, um, and that is when it comes to God... And Jesus and their rule over us, we resist submitting to Jesus as our king. Uh, we want to run our lives our own way. It's like we set we, we declare, this is the realm of David's sheath, uh, and I will st- I will run my kingdom independently of yours, God. Uh, and it's laughable, right? You, you, you open up the book of Revelation and there you see the conquering Jesus riding on a war horse, bringing the judgment of God and you go, no, no single one of us can ever pretend that we can stand and resist his authority over us. It's laughable, but thankfully God is patient uh, and gives us time to recognize the stupidity of our position. It gives us time to repent and recognise Jesus as king. Even for us Christians, right? we say, Jesus is my king, but often we still live as if we were in charge. Now, I want you to be honest with yourself at this point. How much do we resist obeying Jesus in our lives? Uh, We say, well, look, I'll obey in these things, but uh, We try to keep some things that are off limits, that are actually my kingdom that I, I keep separate from God. Uh, so some, we draw boundaries up to our obedience to Jesus. And it is laughable, um, but it is no joke. Um, and we really need to say, your kingdom come, help me submit to Jesus as my king, in every area of my life, because the reality is he is king and he deserves all honour and all praise and all obedience. Now, secondly, when we pray, Your kingdom come, we're, we are also saying to God, I want Jesus to be proclaimed in all the earth. And even this, we're saying, Help me be part of that. Help me proclaim Jesus. As the king, the king of all the earth. Um, see, Jesus is king, but not everyone realizes that that is the case yet. Uh, I don't know if you're aware that after World War II, there uh, there were a number of clusters of Japanese soldiers who held out from surrendering because they really they didn't either didn't know that the war was over or didn't believe it or didn't want to believe that the war was over. Um, The most famous is this fellow, Hiro Onoda. Is that right how to pronounce it? Oh well, gee, I'm half Japanese then. Um, So Hiro Onoda, he was a lieutenant in the Japanese army. He was stationed on an island off the coast of the Philippines, hiding in the jungle for years and years. Once the war was over, he refused to surrender. He had told his commanding officer, his commanding officer had said, never surrender until I give you the order to step down. So he was still holding out. He'd heard the reports that the war was over, but he did not believe them. In 1974, 29 years after the war had ended, a young Japanese man named Norio Suzuki went and found him and made friends with him and tried to persuade him that the war was actually over, uh, that it was time to surrender. But he wouldn't surrender. And so what this guy um, Suzuki had to do is he had to go back to Japan and he had to convince um, Onoda's superior officer to come with him. He was now retired. You know, he wasn't part of the... um, army or any anymore but he had to come with him and officially give him the order to surrender uh, and so here he is coming out of the jungle uh, with uh, his commanding officer next to him uh, and the next picture is of him handing over his sword to the president of the Philippines uh, Marcos president Marcos now that is an extraordinary story isn't it uh, You just think man they just holding out for so long now It's the same when it comes to Jesus. Jesus was made king 2,000 years ago, but there are people on the planet who don't yet realise that Jesus is king. Not just Jesus is king of Australia or some distant country, Jesus is king of the whole world. It's a reality, but some people don't know it. Or some people need to be convinced of it. Um, They need someone to actually take the time to look at the evidence with them, to actually persuade them, yeah, okay, Jesus is king and I need to surrender. Uh, I need to recognise him as king. There are some people that are in your life, some, you know, you might have family or friends, you might have neighbours, workmates. There are some people that you have contact with who do not yet know that Jesus is king or haven't yet been persuaded of it. And if you do not take the time to persuade them, who will? I want you to give serious thought to that. Um, God has put you in their lives. You are the best person to help them take the next step in investigating the claims of Jesus on them. Do you believe Jesus is king of all the earth? Uh, Your friends and family, your loved ones, they need to hear it. They need someone to lovingly help them move from being ignorant or uninformed about Jesus to actually recognising he is the king. And and I reckon when we pray your kingdom come, we're saying I'm on board with proclaiming the kingship of Jesus so that everyone will know. Um, I want you to have a look at this ad. Um, Now, you won't have seen that in your um, letterboxes because this is actually, uh, it's not a Tourism Australia ad either. Uh, No way you will not make Australia home. What it is is it's part of the campaign of the Australian government uh, in, in nations like Indonesia and so on where they're saying don't try to come to Australia by boat uh, from Indonesia, because if you do, we'll just turn back the boats. Uh, And we've been hearing about this over the last week because Bill Shorten has now uh, drawn the Labour Party to join with the Liberals, so there's a united stand in a determination to turn back the boats. Now, even as I say this... um, We are divided in our opinions on what is the best strategy, probably, right? Uh, And I'm not claiming to know what's the best strategy, but what I do want to say is we ought to be grieved that it has to come to this. And that is, there are are people who look to Australia and say, Australia is my best hope. Uh, It's a great country, there's freedom there. Some people are escaping from the horrors of war and persecution their lives are in danger some people for some people fleeing to australia by whatever means feels like that is their only hope i reckon it whatever we think is the right policy it ought to grieve us that we we have to say no you cannot come in wouldn't it be great if we had enough resources Actually, share it all round to anyone who was in need. Now, the reason I put that up is not to make a stand on the whole asylum seeker issue, but to just contrast it with the kingdom of Jesus. With God's kingdom, all are welcome. It's like the gates of God's kingdom are thrown open and anyone with whatever past, you know, criminal record they are welcome to come in. Whatever race, whatever religion they have had in the past, God says all are welcome with one condition. What's the one condition? You submit to Jesus as the king. Trust in him. Uh, Anyone from any background, any nationality, whatever, can come into this kingdom as long as they recognise that Jesus is the King. Now, that is fantastic, isn't it? Because you come into this kingdom of Jesus and there is forgiveness of whatever past you've had. There is healing, there is restoration, there is hope, there is a new future. I reckon, even though it's hard to proclaim the message of Jesus because some people are so resistant, it is such good news when it finally breaks through and people go, ah. That is fantastic. Eternal life, forgiveness, Holy Spirit, man, a new community. Uh, That's what we have on offer. And and our hearts ought to be set on that kingdom, uh, seeking first the kingdom. Finally, what are we asking for when we pray your kingdom come? I think there's one other aspect, or there's lots of other aspects, but one other is come Lord Jesus. We're actually recognising that Jesus will come again and we want him to come soon uh, because we recognise that our world is full of corruption and suffering and death uh, and we know that Jesus has done all that is necessary to bring in the new creation where there's going to be no more sin or death or suffering or crying or pain and God will dry every tear From our eyes, and you just go, Oh, bring it on. That will be fantastic. The problem is when Jesus comes again, anyone who hasn't yet surrendered or submitted to his kingship will come under his wrath. And so we feel that godly hesitation where we go, Come, Lord Jesus, and yet, Oh, please. Please help my family and friends and neighbours and so on to, to come to know him first. So, And I think there is a godly hesitation that we ought to feel. Your kingdom come, but please give a chance to my friends and neighbours and loved ones first. I reckon there's other reasons we hesitate, uh, saying, come Lord Jesus. I think one reason is, is we, we're just so happy with life here and now and we've got so much accumulated and our eyes are taken off the kingdom. That's a bad reason for not praying your kingdom come. Uh, Another reason is because we go, oh, I'm actually not ready for Jesus to come again. I would be caught out uh, like, like some of the Israelites when Jesus came the first time. You know, they should have been hanging out, waiting for God's kingdom, but a lot of them have just got on with their lives and have totally lost sight of what ought to have been their first priority, the kingdom of God. And they're they're worried about the things of life and building up their business empire and all that sort of stuff. Now, the, the godly Israelites were still longing and seeking first the kingdom, but the majority had taken their eyes off the kingdom. When Jesus comes again, will you be ready? Would you be ready today? Because he's he's promised us that he will come when we least expect him. Uh, That we we can't actually map out what the time will be. So we need to live in a constant readiness. Um, So will you be ready and waiting for him at his return? Longing for his kingdom? Or will you be caught out? feeling unprepared, so absorbed in the worries of day-to-day life and the pleasures of day-to-day life that you go, oh man, I wasn't ready for Jesus and his kingdom. Just hold off. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are also praying, help me submit to Jesus as my king. Help me proclaim Jesus as the king of all the earth. And we're praying, "Come, Lord Jesus." And we pray that prayer with an urgency, knowing that He could come any day. We want to be ready ourselves, and we want others to be ready. But brothers and sisters, that is what it is to pray, "Your kingdom come." That is what it is to to pray. To, sorry, to seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness. And as we do it, we will never be shortchanged by God because he has promised all of these other things will be given to you. Don't worry about those things. Seek first the kingdom. I want to give you a time just to reflect and pray about some of those things that are on the screen or some of the things that you've been impacted by God's word this morning. And then I'm going to lead us in prayer in just a minute or so. lead us in prayer God our father you are the great king of all the world you always have been and you always will be there is nothing that takes place that is outside of your kingly rule we want to thank you that you have decided to establish your kingdom To do away with evil kingdoms, evil tyrants, corruption, abuse. Father, we we thank you that in your righteousness, you will put an end to all those things and establish your kingdom, your righteousness that will go on forever. Thank you that you you have already done that in sending your son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you that in his death, he's paid for sin, He's defeated death, he's defeated Satan, and he's risen as the conquering king. That he now rules all things. But our Father, we know that we do not see him. We know that he is king, but we do not see him face to face. Father, there are many in our world who do not yet know that Jesus is king, Please work in our hearts so that we have a commitment to your word going out through our missionaries, through our ministers, through, through us. We pray that we will invite people to hear your word, that we will testify to Jesus ourselves. Please help us to be part of that invitation, that gospel message that goes out, inviting people to recognize Jesus as king and submit to his rule. But Father, as we pray that, we recognise that we struggle to submit to Jesus' rule even in our lives. We are sorry that so often we partition off parts of our life as if we were the boss of those things, not Jesus. Father, we pray that we will give ourselves completely, that we will surrender completely to Jesus' rule over us and that we would obey him wholeheartedly and eagerly as our good, loving King. And Father, we know that Jesus is coming again soon and on that day, all evil will be swept away. Father, we think about that day with mixed emotions. Uh, Father, we think of our family and friends who do not yet know Jesus. Father, please help us to take every opportunity to get them ready for that day. But also, please help us to be ready ourselves, not to be distracted and caught up in stuff here and now, but fixed on you, seeking first your kingdom, uh, trusting that you will provide and meet our day-to-day needs, casting our cares on you. Uh, Father, we pray that when Jesus comes again, he will find us longing, waiting, ready, seeking first his kingdom.